Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. The people who put on the conference, did they have a real estate company? Did you you sign up with them or you just find another real estate? I just found another independent broker. Yeah, they didn't. They just had they the coaching selling company. their mastermind. They were just selling the, their mastermind on on how to go be a top producing agent. Yeah. And so you went out that and that. How many years were you doing that before? Did you go straight from that into Odyssey? No. So I did that from 2009 to 2012. And then I started doing some more development deals. What's the lure of a development deal for you? Why did you do development deals? You were doing so good with the houses. What was the allure of that? They were just larger, bigger chunks of money. A development deal could bring in several hundred thousand dollars on a deal versus that would take me X amount of houses, a lot more houses. And I wanted to get back into the investing game. And it was larger dollar payouts than a fix and flip was. And so we started looking at some development deals. And that's what we started looking at doing. Now, when you look at, let me ask you that. When you're looking at development deals, what's the process on that? Because I I read in your thing that you guys are looking at 100 properties a month evaluating in what you're doing now. But when you're evaluating development deals, how do you, you know, you walk out of your house, where do you <laughs> turn on the computer? How do you find these development deals to investigate it? Uh, is that a networking thing? or? Yeah, for us, it's door knocking and networking, right? And it's it's dealing with farmers, right? Typically, you're dealing with farmers who are getting to the point where they don't want to farm the land anymore. And you're trying to work with in what I was doing is like smaller residential deals, uh-huh. anywhere from 50 to maybe 150 lots. And so the area that we knew well, you know, we would go into the farmers area and we'd find out where development was going. And we try to find those, the landowners that were willing to sell some of those smaller tracks. We, we, we didn't compete with the big, the big builders or the big development deals because the deals that we were working on were smaller than they wanted to go after. Uh-huh. And so what we would do is try to find the raw land. We'd spend the time to get the zoning changed, the entitlements, get all the infrastructure ready to go. And then we would sell it to the mid-size to small size builders. But you're not going on Zillow or the MLS and trying to find development deals, right? You're you're going out and building relationships with the landowners in the area. And, and typically they're the, the farmers that are aging out of wanting to run a farm. And like in the business world, you start a business, you build a business up to a certain size, and you get like 20 million in revenue or this, that, and the other. And then then the bigger boys want to start coming in and they're not looking for lemonade stands to buy, but they are exactly. looking for bigger businesses to snap up. Yeah. And that's what the edge fund guys do anyway. And yes. You were doing that with developers and either the bigger companies, you're getting it ready for them to and- take over. And then they would take it. Yeah. We ended up at the time, we built some houses. We built about 40 homes, but nothing to write home about by any stretch. But it was, our goal was to give them to the bigger developers after we had them ready for them. They just didn't want to deal with it. What was happening in your mind that was was getting you ready to go and do what you've done? I have twins and we struggled with infertility for a long time, my wife and I. And we ended up having, in 2011, we finally started making a little bit of money again. I'm embarrassed to say that I was... I was okay saying maybe we don't, maybe kids aren't in our, in our future, right? We did IUI for a long time and it wasn't working. And our, our option was in vitro. It's a depressing thing to go through, isn't it? 
it, it's tough. Yeah. Especially when, I mean, we were dealing with that all during those, those downtimes as well. Right. Wow. We were, we were trying to build the family. And then obviously when, when you're right in the middle of it, you kind of forget about that a little bit, but then when we started making a little bit more money again, that's like top of mind, right? We it's were wanting to yeah, it's a priority. And it, but it was again, it was an expensive priority. We barely had started putting money back in the bank. And this procedure that we had to do, it was in vitro fertilization. And it was a new procedure called ICSI at the time. It was only about three to four years old. And it only had about a 20% chance of working. And it was it came with a hundred thousand dollar price tag and insurance and everything doesn't cover it. What a crap, what a crapshoot that is, huh? At the time, yeah, and I, and I was, and we only had about a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, you know, and, wow. I, and and so I was like, and my wife was convinced we needed to do this. I remember we were going to have a conversation about it, and I had all my points ready to go. I was ready to plant my flag in the sand and say, "Hey, listen, if, if God willing, if we have kids, awesome." But I I don't think that we can put ourselves in that position again financially. We gotta we gotta really be. I was looking at that and using that yeah. as my excuse. We sat down and I couldn't, the words just couldn't come out. And I'm grateful to say they didn't come out. And I'm glad my wife just kind of, she she was, she sat down and said, we're doing this. And, and it wasn't something that you I was going to argue about. And thankfully I didn't because we ended up with, she made the sale very easily. It was, uh, yeah, there was, there was no objections, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She floored you right for the, the get Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were, she knocked you out, right? There. Yeah, it was, it was, a, yeah, it was a TKO right out of the gate. That hundred grand was gone. <laughs> it was, uh, it was a done deal. And it was, we were lucky. We got, uh, we were blessed with the uh, twins and well, she had an awesome well, pregnancy. Wonderful. And that, that's wonderful. Congratulations. It was awesome. And and so we had, we had twins in 2011 and Boys, uh, girls, one of each boy, girl worked out awesome for us. And that was a pivotal point in my life of really feeling like the old me had really got removed. Teresa and I were like this really hard driving business team almost. And even to the point where even the whole time she was pregnant, we were thinking we were going to hire a nanny and they were going to live with us. And we were going to, they were going to help do that. So we can still run the business. And we had the kids and Teresa said that, you know, I want to stay home with them. I want to do this and be a mom. And ever since then, she's, that's what she's done. She homeschools our kids. It's the three amigos, I call them. And she hasn't, had to work or do any of that ever since we had him. And that our life changed again at that point. And we kept going every year on their birthday, we take them to Hawaii and we spend a week in Hawaii at the same, same place every single year. And they were turning four. And so they were, this was in 2015. And, and I was on the beach with my son, Wyatt, and I was on the phone working on one of our deals and I was frustrated and Wyatt just grabbed my hand and he said, dad, if, if real estate's no fun in Utah, you should sell houses here in Hawaii, you know, because in his mind, right. Hawaii's so fun, right? And, and it, obviously real estate would be fun there. For those of you who are sick and tired of fooling around and are dead serious about wanting to move up fast, I've got something especially for you. I've combined the best insights from over 40 years in business and making $70 million in income and compressed them into a free webinar. That's right. It's a free resource. If you want to find out exactly what the concepts are that I use in coaching million dollar earners, register now at widelonwinning.com. You'll discover the five-part framework used by so many to reach their financial, personal, and professional goals. You can find that link in this episode's show notes. That conversation really just, what it did is it gave me this pause of saying, 
what do I really like? Where do I really, what do I really want to do here? And at the time there was, I had, had heard a speech by Tony Robbins talking about Robin Williams. And he was saying, you know, it, it, his point was success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And I was always just worried about the next win and what was going on. And, and I felt like we could make money at any time, basically like saying, oh, we can, we can roll up our sleeves and, and do this because we've come from nothing. But I look back and, and one thing that happened during that big slide is we, Teresa and I bought a little cabin in Utah on a lake town in Utah in 2006. And we had a little vacation home. And when we started losing everything, I threw this little vacation home up on Craigslist and local classifieds. And it, it ended up renting out really well. It's the only asset that I didn't lose during everything. And it maintained itself the whole time, even during a pretty tough recession. And we kept this little cabin. And so not that I knew I was ever going to go into short-term vacation rentals, but when I started having that conversation with Wyatt and, and then in my head thinking, what do I really want to do? I thought, one, I really loved that resort game. I really loved being part of the resort game, the experiences that were there, the memories, the things like that. And I loved investing in real estate. And I realized that this asset performed really well during a really tough time during real estate. And I started putting the pieces together of maybe this is a viable asset class. Airbnb had started to gain some traction by that point, And we started really looking into it. And I really quickly shifted. I started thinking about this. And within months, I was we were like, hey, we're, we're diving into the short-term rental game. And that's really when we started. And it was just kind of by happenstance of the things and the, the things that had happened in our lives, actually having that asset that we didn't lose that made us money that whole time while we were losing everything else. I couldn't pay my bills from it, but it was maintaining itself. It was having some positive cash flow, and I didn't lose it. So we really started looking into it. And by that point, I started running down the short-term rental road and we started buying some properties. And I started writing a book about it. And then Vodacy created the way it created. I At the time, I was mostly just speaking on other people's stages and helping and doing different things that way. And we started building our own community. And that's how it really became a thing to say, I just asked myself the question of what do we really want to do? And, those, and that asset class checked the boxes for us. How did you get that long-winded name for your uh, book? Because I guess there's just no way of, Telling what the book is without putting all that in there, is it? It's hard. Yeah. Back then, when I wrote the book, short-term rentals were nowhere near as popular as they are today, right? Yeah. And so, and I always call them lifestyle assets, right? And so, yeah. it says, what the hell is a lifestyle asset? And then, then obviously, the big, long subtitle is just to be descriptive so people knew what the heck the book was about, right? Because yeah. even even the title is, is hard to say. And so, I understand it, it at least when I wrote it, especially. And did your uh, ghostwriter write it for you or did you... Nope. I wrote the whole book. And my goal was to really kind of take our process that we had worked for us yeah. because we always, we focus on three major phases, the acquisition phase, which is buying the right property in the right market that has the potential to make money. That second phase is really getting it set up to deliver a unique experience and then having the management in place to deliver that. And then the third phase is marketing it, right? And so I have nine steps that take you through all those phases. And that's really all the book is. It takes you through that nine-step process. Did you write the book before you started? Vodacy. You wrote the book before you started Vodacy? So how powerful was the book in solidifying this concept in your mind? 
it was huge, right? The Vodacy became the outline of the book became the outline of what I started, how I started, what I do at Vodacy, right? It was the entire outline of what the business model was going to be like on helping people through this process. And so it was absolutely instrumental. And, and it was funny because I started, I wrote the book and then it sat for a long time. It was about a, it took me about a year and a half to write it. But then it, the book itself was really just the, it was the outline for the training that we were helping people with. Cause we were helping people do this before I started really formally charging and coaching and everything else. And so there was this like beta group that we were rolling through from about 2017 to 19 before we really formally launched and said, okay, we're going to actually turn this into a company. Did you start your, uh, company before after you formalized this training program because one of the thing is now i don't know if you're number one because this is a niche thing or is there's a lot of people doing this you know no offense but if somebody wants to get an education in short-term rental you're the number one short-term rental education company and mastermind group in the world and is that because there's nobody else doing it or you're the first one to do it and they haven't caught you yet or it's a little of both there's some there's some benefits to being the first guy in town right and we were the very i mean to my knowledge one of the very first that we're actually teaching people how to do and really focus on the ownership model there's a lot of people who teach people how to make money with short-term rentals most of them are not talking about owning these properties. If you look at their saying, make money with other people's properties, help them, right. you know, arbitrage, co-host, those types of things. So still to this day, there's not a lot of people who really focus on the ownership model like we do. And obviously when we're, you're the first in town in a market that was really exploding. I mean, we launched at a very good time, right? We launched in 2019. In 2020, when COVID hit, I thought my business was going to be over because I was like, holy crap, we're in the hospitality space. But that blip of COVID when things really shut down. And then we re- we realized, holy crap, this actually is adding fuel to this fire because everybody now wanted to get away. So again, like that line of between success and failure and some of the things that happened between when we launched and what happened with COVID and just the explosion of popularity, we were able to ride that wave and then be able to take advantage of a lot of that, the momentum that that generated for us, frankly. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.